0: Bro. Moby.co. This is The Flagship Pod, a weekly live podcast about the stock market, the economy, and the various market forces that power your world. As always, I'm your host, Peter Starr, bringing you this time, you know, more of a long-term look at the market as we're just seeing inflation get stickier and stickier and the market kind of react. We're seeing the stock market be down here on Friday as PCI inflation came in a little hotter than expected and the market is just thinking we're going to raise rates for the next 5,000 years. To help me sort of unpack the despair the market's feeling there, as always, I'm joined by Justin Kramer, CEO, Co-founder and chief analyst here at Moby Deco. Just a man, what's good, dude? You feeling the, uh, the the interest rate blues, or is this market just kind of overblowing, you know, inflation right now?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. This is uh we're looking for, I think believe, our first negative week uh in a bit, um, if not the second. And yeah, the Dow's dropping, markets dropping on the face of what's to be a little bit hotter inflation report than some had expected. Um, not trying to pat ourselves on the back by any means, but if you've been paying attention for a while, we've again been saying we are not on the other side of things by any means. A lot of this is a supply side issue and that rates need to keep increasing if the Fed wants to continue delivering on the promise that they can ultimately uh, lower inflation. So this doesn't really surprise us. Like we said, we are not on the other side of this by any means. Uh, still an ongoing issue that we'll have to deal with for quite some time whether it's, you know, supply chain related things, onshoring, you know, the war in Russia, there's a lot of things factoring in that make the prices go up. So long story short, There's a a lot to be conscious of if you're an investor, a lot to talk through today, so I'm excited to kind of tackle it.
0: But to get through that even more, Justin, to add a little bit of noise to that signal, we're also looking at Bitcoin not really giving up 23K. It's down 2% on the day, but not down at all and as badly as the Nasdaq is. So we're seeing some risk appetite here in the market and we're just trying to make sense of what that exactly means. Why is the market still feeling a little bit risky? Bitcoin is decoupling a little bit from the Nasdaq and becoming more for us a sort of appetite for risk. indicator as opposed to you know a, a bigger investment. It's more of an indicator for us right now. So a lot like, to really unpack and try to understand, but let's get into the actual things that are driving this sell-off, and that's PCI inflation. So the the, consumer, the personal consumption price index came in today uh, about a tenth of a percent higher than it should have. So Justin, when we're looking at this with inflation kind of sticking around, like all of the core measures that the Fed likes when it's measuring inflation coming in hotter than expected, but only slightly hotter, is this just inflation not slowing down as fast as the market wants? Or is this kind of an indication that the supply side stuff's not going to go away while we're still having a war in Ukraine, we're going to have to deal with this for the long term, the rates are going to get raised into the second half of 2024 or any other nightmare scenario?
1: So let me preface this for people who've been repeat listeners, I apologize if we sound like somewhat of a broken record. But again, this is to your point, very much a supply side issue, very much a Russia based issue, uh, that inflation is continuing to go up, whether as i said kind of in the intro whether you know they're starting to bring more of the supply chain onshore which means rebuilding our infrastructure which means higher costs for the consumers whether there's issues in russia russia is one of the largest exporters to europe of energy and natural gas um so with them out of the picture things go up uh, same thing with like any issues in china any issues with semiconductors there's a lot of issues in getting the goods and materials we need even if we, as we make the shift over to electric vehicles and battery-based power. We need lithium, we need cobalt, we need all these raw materials. So these are all inflationary forces. Um, and then factor in that the Fed is raising rates, which ultimately hurts the economy and hurts valuations. We're in this interesting scenario where the Fed can decrease demand to a certain extent. Um, but again, a lot of this is not due to demand, it's due to the underlying supply. So for them to truly, truly fix the issue, like they, there's a good chance they push us into some sort of recession. How deep it is, too hard to say at this point. But again, when we see that the Fed uh, today um, comes out with uh, their basically their preferred measure of inflation and that it rose higher than expected, that shouldn't shock anyone. If you're looking at the same things we're looking, if you've been following us for a while, again, this is kind of... The track that we've been that we've been on until things fundamentally change. Um, so, long story short, we anticipate that the Fed is going to keep raising, and that's what the market now is really pricing in. Having said that, I think a good amount of this is pricing in. So, while the market's down today, I don't see this being a prolonged sell-off in terms of you know another huge down day Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and all of next week. Again, I think a lot of this is baked in to a certain extent. I don't think this rally of 2023 is over by any means. However, the Fed is likely going to continue raising rates to five percent, then five point two five percent, and so on and so forth. So, we again, I didn't know it's ultimately. If you've been hearing us talk about this, it's all we talk about, but it's the only thing that moves the market. So, super important to pay attention to. Um, and then past that, it'll affect certain industries more than other, and then within those industries, certain stocks would do better than others, which is a very interesting dynamic, especially as you look at. You know, financials, for example, higher rates is typically good for financials, but certain banks do better with higher rates than others. So JP Morgan with higher rates should do better. Um, with higher rates, a lot of these companies, and this is a little bit the inverse of what you would think, but with higher rates, a lot of these private companies who've stayed private for a while, it's really expensive to raise debt right now, and raising equity is at a crazy like dilution. So a lot of these companies like are either Doing huge down rounds where a lot of them you'll might start seeing going public this year and start seeing the M&A activity in the markets pick up. It's why we've seen Goldman do well as of recently. Uh, So it's actually an interesting time where companies might be forced to go public, which ultimately is going to be good for the markets, but, you know, not great for the valuations of the people who are working there.
0: But again, when we think about the IPO market, I think when you look at from a narrative sense, like there's a bunch of IPOs that got bailed on in 2022 that are probably not going to come until about second half of 2023. Like I'm personally very excited to see uh, how overbought and then oversold Reddit gets, you know, the Wall Street Bets people coming for revenge after the whole GameStop situation. But again, we're not really seeing that until about the end of 2023 at the absolute earliest, right? Because uh, right now what you're watching is A, the market, you know, overreacting a little bit to rising rates and people going from stocks into bonds a little bit more, the 60-40 portfolio looking more attractive than ever, right? But at the same time, you're seeing the market prices in so much that you're kind of getting a sense that the market has kind of called Jerome Powell on his whole game here. They're saying, okay, fine, you're going to keep raising rates to 5.2%, you're going to raise rates into the second half of 2024. You know what, I'm just going to pretend that's not happening and just keep buying and everyone else will too. It's one of those weird things where we have to remember the stock market is made entirely out of people and we can completely adjust. Just what a certain level things are going to be at, right? So even though. A lot of theses were based on the Fed, you know, getting through that disinflation process, getting to a point where they're going to stop raising rates in 2023 and then reduce rates potentially. Even uh, we can potentially survive, you know, an interest rate environment of you know four to five percent for an extended period of time. Uh, we're seeing an enormous amount of dry powder staying on the sidelines in the VC market. So again, a lot of people just kind of sitting and waiting as opposed to selling off. Like there's this interesting sort of stasis in the market as we watch inf- more layoffs come in as we watch the battle between the Fed and labor because it seems. like the only thing jerome powell is capable of doing is knocking labor down and rather than talking about that for the next hour and also the next six months as we watch this ongoing war between the demand side levers that the fed can pull and the supply side inflation let's talk about long term trends we can keep watching to make sure we're not falling for any head fakes and make sure we're allocating capital in the right way justin uh, one thing we're gonna be coming out with next week a lot is a a lot of analysis on AI, and that is where AI is actually going to move the market. We've seen kind of the fake zone where AI is going to be moving a lot of capital, perhaps unnecessarily. We've seen Microsoft stock get very boosted off of them air quotes beating Google to the sort of like AI search basis. But that's probably a head fake for right now. AI search is a million years away. Your job is not going to get replaced by AI if you're like a content pusher. All the chat GPT stuff is doing is it's going to not even reduce the cost of creating content, it's just going to drop the cost of bullshit to zero, right? So you're going to see just a lot of noise and a lot of actual money being made from AI. Where AI is actually being valuable, Justin, is we've seen two very critical stocks absolutely pop off based off of their success in ai and one that's probably a head fake but i'm going to ask you questions about it first and foremost justin your old standby one of your original stocks that you launched Moby with that's palo alto networks they've taken their ai budget massively expanded it and rather than using ai to like i don't know write whatever they're using ai to discover malware websites and adapt cybersecurity protocols basically live with hackers right what palo alto networks is doing right now is discovering around two and a half million malicious websites per day or something ridiculous like that if you look at their uh, earnings report which came out on tuesday i believe it is absolutely insane to watch how fast palo alto networks is adapting and therefore how fast their stock is popping off when you look at stuff like this though justin like is that still can with ai stuff like that can we still achieve a sas multiple even in this a- a- interest rate environment or is the market just overbuying because they're seeing a little bit too much ai hype dude Yeah. So
1: looking at like Palo Alto, which I think is a really good marker for the industry right now, there's a like I would say there's probably four to five different metrics we're looking at in particular that believe uh, that make us believe that, you know, there's obviously been a big run in Palo Alto networks. Um, We've liked the stock, to your point, for years, but we still don't think it's going to be overvalued, um, even though it's up like over 200 percent in the last five years. So number one thing we're looking at is their. Excuse me. Uh, we're looking at their enterprise value um, to the next 12 months of revenue, like multiple. So basically just trying to understand that average and understanding historically versus today, um, are they over, under or overvalued? Basically just, you know, sales to value. So looking at the past uh, roughly decade for Palo Alto Networks, they've been trading at 21.9 times. Uh, it's gone up. It's gone down, but that's kind of been the baseline. Right now, they're at 18.9. So they are below the average multiple that they get based on the next 12 months of revenue. Past that, we're starting to see um, Palo Alto get basically higher credit for recurring revenue instead of net new sales. Um, so the recurring revenue mix has been increasing every single year, which is really strong, up to the point where it was 60% in 2017, and then over the last five, six years, now it's at 78%. Again, strong things we're seeing. Um, We are also seeing that um, their operating margins, and this was a huge reason, increased like crazy. It was dating back to 2021. It was around the 17 to 18% range, 2022. It got a nice jump from 18 up to 20. And now in 2023, it's going from 20 to 23. So not only are they making more money, are they undervalued, are they making the right type of money, but they're also making a much higher margins. Um, and it's not really reflected in their stock price yet. Um, so long story short, we think, you know, the whole AI theme, as much as it's definitely a buzzword, uh, companies like Palo Alto, companies that are, you know, integrating this into their t- by tech stack properly are ultimately going to do a lot better. And that's why we're seeing especially from them, a huge amount of prof- profitability uh, growth, which is you know pretty amazing for a company of their size. They've just continued to kind of hit it out of the park, uh, get that higher mix, like we said, of recurring revenue and ultimately just expand margins. So we're super excited for what they can do and how they can leverage AI to ultimately drive automation for a lot of their business processes, which again, helps them with um, their net income and their profitability, which. They're one company who's doing it very well, and this will expand down to others. And AI has always been a buzzword, but now, you know, with ChatGPT really taking center stage with uh, with Bing, it's going to become more prevalent than ever.
0: And before I expand on that, real quick, audience, if you want to get a better sense of how we're thinking about that and how PANW is expanding their margins, I just want to remind you real quick that this podcast is brought to you by, well, us, Moby.co. If you want to get a better sense of our long-term perspective and get a better sense of the flywheels that PANW was building, I want you to go ahead and check out Moby.co. If you're listening to this live, we're a little early here, but if you're listening to the recorded version of this podcast, you're going to be catching that this week as we give you sort of a week of AI news as we go through our various picks of folks who are actually really, really winning in the AI space. It's not just AI that's driving PanW's success. AI is driving one critical leg of the flywheel that Palo Alto Networks is building so they can continuously expand their margins for what kind of looks like the next three to four years. And reading that kind of analysis gives you that sort of five-year time horizon that you really need to be successful as an investor. Remember, you only get... The stock market is one of the easiest games in the world to win. It's just you get exactly one chance to play it, one 30-year time horizon to make sure that you, you know, build the generational wealth you need to build. That's what we're here to help you do. Invest for the long term. No short-term malarkey, nothing like that. Check us out, mobi.co. Invest for the long term. You'll be really successful. But to get back to you, Justin, real quick, as we look more and more into these flywheels that ai is creating for companies like palo alto networks i want to make sure that we're also catching where maybe the market is overbuying certain stocks it might be using ai as like an overhype cycle and so can you kind of help me out here with uh yesterday we had nvidia or nvidia however you want to pronounce it their stock popped about eight percent off of news that even though their revenue is completely down um they they're data center division, which involves AI chips is up 11% and therefore the stock market saw that they're up on AI revenue and just completely just descended upon the stock. Is this a head fake or is Nvidia going to be also an AI innovator here as we kind of look at their latest earnings report?
1: So we're definitely still long Nvidia as well, not to the extent that we are with Palo Alto networks, but to your point, data server revenues were well below expectations in January um and people are kind of a little you know wishy-washy on what that means for the future but suddenly for us more so than ever like we're seeing like a lot of these large cloud companies and their capabilities basically to build on top of like these language models and ultimately the capital required to develop these models end up being a pretty strong tailwind for nvidia going forward and so yes again to your point data like revenue or data sorry data center revenues were down but we're starting to start seeing what we believe to be ultimately strong revenue growth going forward especially with a lot of these supply chain issues uh starting to abate in some capacity so basically like our thoughts on the stock is really for now the second quarter in a row this isn't the this while this isn't you know the inflection point that we hope for in the data center side of the business um ultimately we see like gpu spending which is a huge part of their business that is going to, to remain an area basically of strength within their cloud business and that's probably why like in a very very high level in a nutshell that nvidia specifically within the chips sector is probably the, our favorite name in our coverage universe you know it's still probably 2 to 2x two more expensive than any other name in the chip sector so take that with a very large grain of salt that's why we're not as bullish on them as we are on Palo zone networks even though again they're they are different companies but ultimately we think they have the most upside possible and they'll grow into that valuation especially if the fed starts decreasing rates at some point so i mean it's a long-winded way to saying we're a little bit skeptical on just the the richness of the valuation especially with data center revenues going down a little bit but ultimately. Um, <clears throat> gpu spending like we said is super high which ultimately translates to gaming uh gaming growth being hopefully a huge part of their go forward kind of uh growth story so you know we really like this stock we've also liked it for years yes there was a strong reaction yesterday the stock is up i think 60 percent this year but it's still down two percent in the last 12 months so this is going to be a name that, like we said, we've, we've held on to years. We will hold on for years to come. Um, they're kind of the, the leaders in the industry, and that's why you're paying up for, uh, on a valuation standpoint
0: and this is one of those things too where it's just if you have no position in nvidia maybe it's still a good time it's one of those things where you have to kind of like look at that five-year time horizon and just you know maybe wait and see where the stock price is going to go uh there's other areas of ai that I'm really excited about but again i want you to check out mobi.co slash go this week to see where else ai is actually popping off hint it's in healthcare which gets me into a transition to you know, something else that we've been talking about a little bit more this week and maybe a little bit more in the next two weeks as we think about the brewing healthcare war justin you and I. I have been examining the primary healthcare industry for a while, you've put out really good stock reports on United, I put out a report on CVS Health, this week, maybe, and we're looking into the kind of war for the entire patient relationship on a primary care basis. That's finally really kicking off this week as Amazon closed its acquisition of One Medical, which is a primary care provider in a bunch of states. CVS has established its territory with its acquisition of Oak Street Health as the space for Medicare patients, which is kind of a brilliant strategy in terms of when you want to develop sort of the infrastructure necessary and the data resources necessary to do primary care health across the entire United States. But when you look at this, just when you look at the war brewing between Amazon and CVS, I mean, with the insane resources that Amazon has, with the unlimited capital, with the ludicrous amount of data they manage, with the huge resources they have at AWS, um, is this even actually a battle, or is CVS setting itself up just to get smacked down by Amazon as Amazon continues to consolidate in the healthcare space?
1: No, I mean, it's, it's a good question. We start looking at like the biggest kind of drivers of just overall healthcare in the US. And if you're not super attuned with uh with healthcare you know if you're not a doctor if you're not working in the medical space it falls on deaf ears for a lot of people but healthcare is insane it's one of the biggest sectors in the United States uh and it, it accounts for almost 20% of the nation's GDP so it is an insane size sector and that's why it's a great like has great investment opportunities because the amount of money pouring into it are huge so when you look at CVS you look at Amazon and honestly you look at United Health a lot of their strategy is to consolidate and streamline healthcare. And this has been going on for a really long time. But effectively, the reason Amazon bought this group, uh, One Medical, and the reason CVS is doing something similar in terms of rolling out primary care doctors, the same reason that United is trying to buy primary care doctors, the the high-level strategy on why they're doing this is what you want to do as a medical practice or a medical group is you want to own the client-patient relationship, or not client, but sorry, doctor-patient relationship. So if I go to my primary care doctor, there's an issue with my heart, they'll send me to a cardiologist. If there's an issue with my foot, they'll send me to a podiatrist. You're not going direct to the podiatrist most of the time. Your primary care doctor is the one referring you. So if you want to own all of healthcare you need to start with primary care doctors because ultimately they have the most power in referring patients out to specialists. And specialists is where these companies make a ton of ton of money. So Amazon, they have a, uh, they have PillPack or whatever the name is of the pharmacy. So that's one arm of, okay, I now own one medical. I own the primary care relationship. If they need prescribe prescribing medication, well, now I own the pharmacy we will not be surprised to see them CVS and others start to move past primary care and surround their entire network with specialists in order to kind of own again that entire patient to doctor relationship united healthcare is one that's doing it really really well their half their business roughly is attributed to this company called optum optum is broken down into three different arms one of those arms is medical services and ultimately, they own some of the largest medical practices across the country, both primary care and specialists. And they are buying up like crazy primary care doctors across the country, but they're keeping it branded. So if you live in New York, Pro Health, I believe, is the huge practice they bought. If you live in Jersey, there's Riverside. If you live in upstate New York, it's CareMount. I mean, they're across the country. But this is this consolidation move is going to be the one of the biggest themes in healthcare over the next decade, which is ultimately again buying these primary care doctors and then surrounding them with your ecosystem. CVS is doing it, Amazon's doing it, United Healthcare, a bunch of people are doing it. There's not going to be one winner or one loser, but ultimately this is going to be the biggest thing. So if you used to go to your doctor as a single practice, the days of that happening are likely over. And then in you know the next decade, most of these companies, or most of these doctors rather, are gonna be owned by massive companies. It might not be apparent in front of you, but you might go to a CVS doctor, they're gonna recommend you go to CVS. You might go to an Amazon doctor, they're gonna recommend you do to Amazon or someone in their network. And so there's gonna be a lot of hidden incentives behind the scenes, which ultimately may not be great for the healthcare system as a whole, but this is a massive theme. And so if you wanna invest in it, We've written some really great pieces on Amazon recently. Granted, healthcare is, you know, not the totality of their business. CVS, United, we've written a ton of great pieces on it. Highly recommend going to the site and learning more about it.
0: And when you try to parse that audience, when you try to understand why this is happening now, you have to recognize this is a similar theme that you've seen throughout the entire economy. It's just similar themes moving from industry to industry. We saw this in advertising when uh, Facebook and Google basically revolutionized everything by completely owning the uh, content to consumer to advertiser relationship you go to google you get a google search google knows everything you do unless you're using a vpn same thing with facebook the facebook pixel is one of the most revolutionary tools in advertising that consolidates all of your data into a single like trackable point so that advertisers know exactly when to reserve you ads right data is extremely valuable it's repackageable and that's the exact same thing we're seeing as we roll through healthcare it's not so you can get tracked and like oh everyone's gonna know that you you know have uh you know kidney disease it's every data point can help create efficiencies. And those efficiencies reduce costs. And if you get as much of that data as possible, you can get a better sense of how to better treat people without, you know, the costs exploding. Because the number one issue in American healthcare right now is just the extraordinary inefficiencies in the system, which are driving up costs. And so that's kind of the thesis here. You drive down those costs, you maintain certain levels of revenue, you can explode your margins. That's why Mark Cuban made cost plus drugs to, air quotes, reduce the price of pharmaceutical uh, stuff. It's not It's not about reducing the price of drugs. It's about getting as much pharmaceutical data as possible. So he can utilize that as a data set to, I don't know, fund other businesses. It's all about getting that data, creating those efficiencies and creating that complete ownership of the patient doctor relationship. So like, (laughs) like, yeah, yeah, Uh,
1: yeah. you're taking a little bit better position than I'm taking on it. Uh, Yeah. Like you look at, I mean, this is a very, very small part of healthcare, but you look at EMRs, which is basically. 10, 20 years ago, most doctors had handwritten notes. They stuck in a the file they put in the back of their office and they resurfaced it when they need it. Then we moved towards electronic medical records, which basically just modernized healthcare, which is 50 years behind every other industry. And now if that doctor is on the same you know EMR as another doctor, you go to a specialist, they can see what's wrong. And ultimately, that flow of data, to Peter's point, moves a lot better. But even today, in modern software, EMR systems or electronic health records don't necessarily talk to different brands. So if your doctor uses brand A, a different doctor uses brand B, they're not necessarily compatible. Um, And that's just, again, a small part of the data inefficiencies. But as we continue to modernize practices more, and as Amazon Health uh, United, CVS, and others start bringing a lot more of these practices in-house, yes, it's more profitable for them. But to some extent, it should, to your point, Peter, also create a more efficient process with data, with processes, and bring down overall healthcare costs.
0: And that's that's the hope we have, at least on the consumer side of things, considering how much uh, like things like Medicare for all have been voted down here in this country. Um, but then to get to your idea, like your thoughts here about sort of like the competitive landscape here, Justin, just quick spot pet five years from now, who's winning? Is, uh, can CVS and can CVS actually stand up to Amazon or is this kind of like Amazon's game to lose? Or is it kind of too soon to say and a little bit too murky to find out who's going to, you know, be be sort of the victor here in this competitive landscape for the next five years?
1: it's it's interesting cuz there's there's two different answers the first answer is healthcare to my point before is 20, almost 20% of us gdp so there's not going to be a one you know a winner take all it's the same thing in the financial world why there's morgan stanley why there's goldman sachs in the car world that's why there's ford that's why there's general motors there's always going to be more than one winner having said that It's in an interesting scenario because on one hand of the equation, you have United Healthcare who has such a dominant force on the industry being like the largest insurer in the US um, and Optum, which again, their focus is healthcare. You have CVS, their focus is healthcare. Amazon, their focus, that's one of their focuses is healthcare, but the majority of their business revenue is due to their e-commerce business and due to their cloud-based business. AWS on the cloud side is a more recent revenue line, has been the kind of reason for the bulk of their surge over the last several years. So there's no reason they can't roll out healthcare successfully. But this has been an area that they've been investing in in a while. And fixing U.S. healthcare has been a real challenge that no one's been able to do over the last 20, 30 years. So I'm sure Amazon will do well in this area. Having said that, it's going to take a long time to play out, and this is not a core focus of theirs, which makes me a little bit more skeptical. Past that, you have Apple saying they wanted to get into healthcare, which they have a little bit in a different fashion in terms of more through the technology side of things. But there's going to be so many different ways to tackle this in so many different sectors that there's there's a lot of different ways to invest in this. And again, to my point before, it's not going to be a winner-take-all. People will own different domains there will be co-winners of certain domains and ultimately there's going to be a ton of upside uh for investors in healthcare. It's that's one of the reasons we've been investing so heavily in healthcare over the last year uh especially in the biotech sector as there's been so many advances uh in 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 medicine and research, and, you know, obviously you can speak to that, but it's it's a huge area for growth and you know, maybe it's not as sexy as, you know, tech stocks and and some of the stuff that's more consumer facing, but don't kid yourself this is a huge part of the U.S. American growth story going forward.
0: I mean, I think it's incredibly sexy. The the absolutely insane technological revolution we are seeing in biotech right now, just off the back of things like mRNA treatment alone is absolutely wild. Just watching how many diseases can get very well treated by just, you know, a different style of vaccine, which is what Moderna and Merck are working on as they basically solve a lot of cancer over the next 10 years with um, a, a kind of one-two punch of Keytruda and a bunch of other stuff. Either way, Justin, really appreciate your time, really appreciate your perspective. We always go over time on this. Um, a lot to sort of go through here. But any final thoughts me before we go ahead and read the credits here, man?
1: No, super exciting to talk through this. As always, we'll stick around in the Discord channel uh for those of you who are listening live for those of you who are listening on the recorded version definitely check out the discord channel check out our site uh we have a lot of more like a lot better content or just more thought-out content through there um and we'll be happy to engage with you and answer questions as need be
0: because remember, audience, you have to have more of that long-term perspective as you go through. You know what has ultimately been the weirdest time period to ever invest in. If you've been with us during sort of our rise here in this podcast, our podcast literally stopped started at the very top of the market. Like our very first episode was October of 2021. So you have watched us sort of like log this bizarre downturn and re like reset a little bit of like a re um upping of the stock market through 2021 into now the middle of 2023. So wild ride here, you have to have that long time scale and if you have that you can still find wins even if you know you bought tesla at the absolute top and are waiting to get back to its ridiculous 2021 valuation regardless audience if you want that perspective as always check us out over at moby.co slash go but for now it's a pretty solid place to end it so just so you know this podcast is produced hosted and voiced by me peter Starr. all the intellectual value of moby.co comes from our analyst team which is headed up by justin kramer ceo co-founder and chief analyst here if you have any questions for us you can hit us up either a at hello moby.co or in our discord where this is recorded live every friday you can find us there otherwise just check us out over at our instagram and TikTok as we sort of go through these sort of like day-to-day data points of the market as we get to really try to make sense of what's happening in the stock market over there regardless audience we really appreciate your time and as always like to leave you with peace love and incremental gains everyone be well thank you so much